Hey guys, what's up? Today we are talking to Dean Delisle, Chief Revenue Officer of S2A Modular, CEO of Bahia Villages, CEO of Lux Mods, the author of First, The Street Guide to Digital Business Influence, owner of Forward Progress, the creator of Social Jack, and my dad, Dean Delisle. Hey, what's happening? Hey, what's up? How are you? Good. Great to have well, you anyways, on, Dean. Yeah, I feel, yeah, thank you. I, I, you know, I love... Uh, I love the show. I'm a big fan. I listen to it all the time and uh, was uh, honored when you guys asked me to be on. So thank you for having me on. Oh, yeah, no problem. And the thing is with that Bahia Villages, I'm technically not the CEO. I am a partner of Bahia Villages, but uh, it did sound like I was a CEO of a lot of things. So Yeah, it did. It, it, we said CEO a lot. I, I was typing it out earlier and I was like, wow, I was like, he is, he's got a he's busy, very busy. Well, I have, so, a lot of good, I have a lot of good people that work with me, so it makes me yeah. So we're going to actually um, go into the first of all, the book. The book was amazing. We've all been reading it. So if you cut to all of our cameras, oh, Tyler doesn't have his. Mine's over there. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm okay, there, there. It's fine. There we go. So there's the book. Is that your? Uh, does everybody have their personalized signed copies? Yep. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yep. We all, let's make sure we have our own. Yep. Mine's signed by dad. <laughs> oh, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> I adopted all of you, just so you know. You know what, Dean? I am thankful for that signature because not only did it authenticate my book, but it also showed me that you have worse handwriting than I do. <laughs> yes. I, yes, I played a doctor on TV <laughs> and stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. So, so we've all been reading uh, your book from different points. <laughs> like, we like I, I mean, I read uh, while you were in the hospital. So, a little bit of backstory: we actually had you scheduled to come in, and the week that you were going to come in was uh, you were in the hospital, and you texted me the day of. <laughs> Like you had been in the hospital for a couple of days uh, and you texted me the day of and you were like, hey, I don't think I'm going to make it to the to the interview. Yeah, I just um, got off life support. I think yeah. I'm going to have to postpone. <laughs> I, I but that's, I, that's a reasonable. Plus I, plus, I look like shit in a hospital gown. I don't know if you guys have ever had one of those on, but they are not flattering. Man. <laughs> I don't care what kind of shape you're in. They're just, there's nothing to say. There's, there's no flattering. I think they put those on there on you on purpose. So you want to get out of there because it's just awful wearing those things. Yeah. You're like, there's always a draft. It's just, it's too breezy, too flowy. Yeah. But... No matter which angle, you know, if whether you wear it, the, with the slit on the back or on the front, there's just not, there's no way of, of getting around the hospital in any fashion to do anything. Like you well, go snack machine, it's just like you look like a molester. It's crazy. And, and that bre that breeze will come right through too, and you're like, oh, oh yeah, well that's okay because it's little those, those those cotton sheets are a little warm, but it's like you know, I don't know. Yeah. So, so and then my 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 thing is, don't get in the hospital. Just stay out of the hospitals. They're all messed up too, man. I don't even want to get started on the whole medical system. Jeez. Yeah, it was definitely uh, it was a crazy experience for that whole week that you were in there to just like basically see. Because I, I mean, we haven't really been had to be in a hospital situation like that for a while. 
Um, but yeah, it was definitely crazy. I'm glad you're okay now. Um, and the doctors were actually, you know, very, uh, helpful, but I think we talked about this a little bit on the other podcast, but well, I did. I talked a little bit on Jackson street. Yeah. Yeah. So that one, uh, we talked a little bit. I dropped the name of the hospital, but <laughs> I won't do that here. Um, <laughs> actually, they, they, they actually did an amazing job. So, you know, I mean, come on. I, you know, one minute I'm on the, I'm on one knee in the airport at Midway, not able to breathe. And then I wake up on life support. So it's just, it was a whole surreal experience for sure. Oh, I bet. I mean, I've obviously never been in that situation, but I can only imagine that that's not a fun situation to wake up and be like, where, well, actually that's not true. I have woken up and been like, where am I? But not in a hospital. Wait, so we're all Chicago people. So you have to imagine I'm the last thing I recall is I'm grabbing the vest of this nice man that's helping me in the airport and he's on his radio. And I'm like, where the fuck are the paramedics? We can cuss on this show, right? Yeah. Say <laughs> whatever the yeah. fuck you want. Yeah, so I'm I'm holding the guy like right here. Where are the paramedics? You know, it was like, you know, Adrian, right? So I'm like that. <laughs> and then I wake up. And I've got a tube down my throat. I'm on life support and I got my wrists are chained to the bed. And I look up and there's three Chicago cops outside my window of my isolated ICU room. And all I thought is, oh, my God, I killed the guy in the airport. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all that I had. I had no family around me, nobody that I knew. You know, so it was like a it was like being in a movie. It was pretty surreal, actually. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. I mean, I remember like because uh, like we were on the other side of that. Like they, we were sitting there for about five hours before they let us go in and see him. Wow, like just like the r- r- suicide squad of people that were in that waiting room. <laughs> there is well, a lady in, well, in Inglewood, so let's just set some context, right? All of us from Chicago know Inglewood is the battleground where they bring. Everybody that nobody else will take. Yeah. And it was, well, it was also the closest one to Midway. Yeah. Unfortunately, I won both those lottery tickets. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, there was this, there was a lady in there at the exact same time while we're waiting to go see him. And he was, and she, she was in a, a wheelchair and had like, um, like a head wound. Like, oh, like an open head, like, like it was bandaged, but like, you could tell shit was not slowing down on bleeding. Like that was not clotting anytime soon. And like, they're just, and like the waiting room, like there was like blood all over her legs. Like it was everywhere. Like, so you could tell it came from her head. Cause that's what was bandaged. And like, it was all over her. And I was like, I was, I don't. I don't even know like that. Like why everyone was just like, yeah, she's good. She's fine. Like <laughs> yeah. we'll put her in the waiting room. She's, she's actually been like, <laughs> like let go she has a lot more blood to lo- lose yeah, yeah she's oh. fine. so anyway yeah. this has nothing to do with the book but at least you since you brought up the <laughs> hospital i figured i would say boy that was just really a crazy ass experience so well i mean now maybe like does that motivate you at all to write another one because oh, I mean, yeah. well, well it, it, i'm writing an, another book now but it's it's it has me writing from a different perspective so so the, you know, they said the one thing that saved my life and Sonny, I thought about you on this is um, that, uh, that, you know, they said, if, if you weren't in the gym six days a week, you literally would not have survived this 
occurrence because because what the trauma that I went through was so severe that I literally, my body stepped up and battled its way through it. You know, like your body does, your body responds to the best of its ability based on your physical condition. So as much as I, you know, I'm in decent shape, I could be in way better shape. So I'm motivated to take it to a whole new level. And I'm motivated to motivate all my other friends to take it to a whole new level. And uh, I think we all should do that just because, you know, we only have one of these temples that we live in, right? So we have to, you know, and then, and then this is what's going to carry us to whatever we, whatever destination we choose to take it to. So if we, you know, if we do a little better job and, you know, I'm no stranger to going out and having a good time. I work 70 plus hours a week with all those CEO positions that Jackson rattled off. And um, I've never been one to slow down. You know, I, I've never been one to take a break, slow down. I build companies, I I run hard, and I play hard. And uh, there's some lesson in there to say, well, now on the Saturdays, I go to the spa and I do salt caves and saunas and massages. I don't. There just, you go. I don't just go to the gym in beast mode. I I get on the massage table and you know do I slow down. You know, and so that was a message and a wake up to me to that there is such a thing as is balance and you know you can't go you know 1040 every single second of the day so you know even though i survive you know 59 years doing it this way i'm not going to survive another 50 doing it so i figure um there's a lot of lessons in there so i i feel like that's a that's like a lesson i'm trying to teach myself is i need to get out of the headspace of just like stop a worrying about things i can't control and then just like you need to, there needs to be breaks where you're not thinking about the podcast or school or work, et cetera. Just thinking about shit that kind of doesn't matter because in a way it's a little bit healthy to get it off of your mind too. Right. And it's harder, it's e- or easier said than done, I would say. Well, I think in today's world, it's hard too, because we have, uh, we have a lot of media in our face, you know, all over the place and not just media, not just social media, but news and noise and everything else and, and stuff all around us and people are angry and the world's pissed off and this and that and everything else. And I think it's our personal responsibility to take care of ourselves around that scenario, you know, so we have a choice to absorb all that negativity and bad things that we see and everything else, or we have a choice to say, well, like you said, I like, I like what you said. Cause I I've sort of lived that way, you know, in, on the outside of, well, you know what I do, I care who's in the, who's in the presidency. Absolutely. Can I do anything about what they're doing right or wrong? Absolutely not. You know, it's already, those choices have been made. I can't climb to the hill and make it change. I can make some changes around my own life I can make some changes around my own companies, but I can't change all the stuff that's bad in the world. I can pick and choose the things around me to change that can affect the world in a positive way. So that's what I choose to do. I use my companies and what power I do have to help make the world a better place and now also to make myself and the people around me better. So as long as I can live that way and help others live that way. I think, uh, I think that's a positive spin. So the new book, will talk about those things about that experience and how it changed me to think differently about the way I take care of myself, take care of others and, uh, 
just think about things differently. Yeah. Well, and I would say that the experience from like watching it from my side of things, I definitely like with watching you go through it. I was my first, well, not my first thought, but like probably like my fifth thought was fuck. I should probably start working out again. Um, and like eating better. Cause like, you know, there was, I was eating just like ramen cause it was quick and easy <laughs> for like months. I was just like, this is easy. This is quick. And then, uh, and then this happened. I was like, that is a lot of sodium that I do <laughs> intake. Uh, so I should probably, you know, get back on track with that. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Is ramen like even in a food group? Um, no. yeah, like it's in the like in the, in shit the your pants food group. Like the same it just food makes group it... salt is in. Yeah, well, because everybody talks to me. Oh, I got this new ramen place, and I'm like, when did ramen places happen? I thought ramen was a bag of stale noodles that had a packet that was like that could last longer than cockroaches in a nuclear war, and then all of a sudden, there's like restaurants that are ramen restaurants. I mean, what the hell's up with that? Well, it's um, I think Vietnamese. I want to say or Korean. Ramen? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot of like Asian culture. Yeah, a lot of Asian culture. But I mean, like, it's it's like going to a Chinese restaurant. I think it was made by Sam Walton or somebody like that. I don't think it was, I don't think it has anything to do with anything international, quite honestly. Well, it's actually, it's it's like French fries are not French and pizza is not Italian. Ramen's not Asian. I disagree with that. I don't even know. I'm just throwing it (laughs) off. I actually was like watching an interview with um, one of the, like chefs from like master chef or something like that. But he was saying that he makes ramen all the time, but he uses the noodles that come in the bag. He just doesn't use their seasoning. He's like, I just do it all myself. Like the seasoning He's like, the noodles are actually pretty good quality. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of good to know that like the noodles aren't the part that's going to kill you. It's that little bag of just salt that they give you. So they just dump this all over it. Yeah. You're going to love it. Well, see, Sonny, there's a lesson for me. See, what I do is I just I just take the bag of the the stuff and I put it in hot water and I drink the broth and I throw away the noodles. So maybe I I just learned something new. Maybe I should be doing it the other way. Well, speaking of restaurants, how about this segue? So your first job was uh, at a restaurant. And you and I have this in common. Our first jobs were at 13 and we got paid under the table. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's it. so. Uh, what was your, what type of restaurant was it? So I didn't work in a restaurant. I worked in a like a family owned grocery store, and okay. I just I stocked shelves and took out. Um, I almost said garbages. Well, that too, but uh, groceries. Like I would help carry groceries out the cars and stuff, and we get tips and whatnot. Um, but I didn't want the job, or I didn't know I was getting the job. My dad took me home from school in seventh grade and said we have to stop at the grocery store to get some things and then next thing i know the manager was like i heard you're looking for some work and i was like yes sir (laughs) and then yeah and then i I was actually able to bike and walk to work but you weren't your parents had to take you so i'm sure they were like oh geez what the hell how often did you work well actually no so so what started was my parents uh were school teachers and didn't make a lot of money and they uh as my dad's second marriage and, uh, so, uh, so we didn't make a lot of money. So, but their treat was every Saturday night, we went to this fine dine steakhouse. It was one of the nicest steakhouses in town, which was in Hammond, Indiana called the region for you people out there that don't know that. Um, so, um, so anyway, that was our treat. Now, one thing was they always had, 
and this is where I got this from for me. When I go to a restaurant, I like have my table or my booth and my waitress. You know, you have your regular servers. So Jackson, we had that when the Parthenon was open at Greektown. So we always had our table. We had George, the waiter. Everybody knew us. They knew what we wanted. Before we sat down, our drinks were made. You know, it was just that kind of place. So anyway, we'd sit there, and my sister and I would sit there with my parents while they're getting a little sauced up, having a celebration for their Saturday meal. We too young to drink. And but I would have an eye shot of the owner because his office was right next to our booth. And I could watch him coming from the bar and he would always on uh, every hour he'd come around and he'd have wads of cash and we didn't have a lot of money. So I associated restaurants with, wow, if you're working restaurants, you're going to have a lot of cash. So at an early age, I watched this year after year. And then all of a sudden I'm like, man, I want to work in a restaurant. <laughs> I mean, even when I was at my grandparents' house, I'd pr- walk around and pretend to be the waiter, you know, and just pretend, <laughs> like I was practicing to be the restaurant guy. So then, uh, so then I, I, you know, I can remember it to this day. He was a big dude. And my dad's like, well, go ask him for a job. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. So I was like, uh, okay. So my dad actually pushed me into that. And so I stood up. And I remember my palms were sweaty because he's this big dude and I'm 13 years old. So I go walking up to him and he's coming in. He looks down. He goes, yes, young man. And I was like, just my mouth was dry. I'm trying to get the words out. And I'm like, uh, I'd really like to have a job. That's what I said. And then it was like, it was like the jukebox stopped and all the people stopped chewing and everyone just looked looking at me, you know, and I'm just like, fuck, what's going to happen now? And then he looked down, he goes, uh, hmm. he goes, how old are you? I go old enough to have a job. He goes, you look old enough to have a job. He goes, why don't you come in on Saturday and we'll talk about it. So I was like Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. I was like, okay. And so then I went back to the table uh, check my shorts and everything was cool. So then my parents are just like, well, what happened? He goes, well, he wants me to come in Saturday. I said, well, she, she's, my mom's like, well, that sounds like an interview. <laughs> and I was like, what's that? <laughs> like, am I going to get interrogated? What is all that about? The only thing I had before that was a paper route, you know? So, uh, so now all of a sudden I'm like, next thing I know, I find myself working in this fine dine restaurant, all the business guys, all the, the, you know, anybody that was anybody in town came there, the mayor, uh, people like that, oh, you know, politicians. Okay. And uh, it was so cool that the whole screen just blacked out on Sunday. So. Yeah, right. um, don't sit still for us that long. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so anyway, it was it was just surreal because not only did I have that gig and I really accelerated at it because I was highly social. I loved just the people and everything about it. But it was. Um, The fact that whenever I wanted a side job or another gig, I did anything I wanted to. Like like once I found out the power of connecting to all the people in that place, it just changed my life because because I learned how to network at a very early age. Um, I also learned how to drink scotch at a very early age. (laughs) It's a whole other story, but uh, but they were just like they were family to me, and so it was a it was a cool feeling and. And I'm telling you, and one of the things to to revert back to is, you know, living in a a sort of a lower middle class neighborhood in Hammond that we did, you know, I delivered newspapers at the end of my block 
there was a country club and I would finish my route and I would sit there in the morning. It'd be like five or six in the morning. I'm sitting there on my bike, little banana seat, watching all these cool cars going in and out and the golfers teeing off. And I'm just like, man, someday I'm going to get in that country club. And, uh, and that was just sort of a vision for me of getting out of, you know, a little bit of my parents not having money all the time and just being in that scenario. So then all of a sudden I look up and Mr. Uh, Matson at the time, Freddie, who was Freddie Steakhouse, I look up and he's got this big picture of a boat and it says, you know, it says uh, Mr. Martini on it. And that was him. So then uh, next thing I know, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. And every Saturday night, the waiters and the the cooks and some of the bus boys, we'd all go out for pizza, you know, and I'd stay out till three in the morning and, you know, have a little alcohol and then we'd get rides home. And it was sort of cool because I was in that club of adulting at an early age and growing into it. Right. So then all of a sudden I'm like, uh, I, you know, he, I would always help him prepare and load up his, his truck with stuff. Cause they, uh, cause all the cool people would leave the restaurant on a Saturday night and they'd go straight to the yacht club on Mr. Martini and then party into Sunday and go out boating. So I'm like, I'm getting in that fucking yacht club somehow. So I'm carrying all this shit out to the truck one day. And, uh, and I go, uh, I go, Hey, Mr. Matson, do you need a, do you need someone to help you when you get there to like clean up the boat and load stuff up for you and stuff like that? He goes, kid, that's a great idea. He goes, yeah, when we head out, jump in the truck with me and we'll go a little early and, and we'll go and, uh, and, and have you help me out. So next thing I know, I'm in the yacht. And he goes, and bring a change of clothes. So I was like, yes. So next thing I know, I'm like, I'm like going to Mr. Hanging out on Mr. Martini. I'm like uh, hanging out with hot looking bartenderesses and waitresses. And I'm the cool kid on the block. And I wasn't going, you know, as much for the pizza anymore. But I was, I got into the sort of the yacht club and I was at the yacht club. And that was that was a surreal lesson. The, the first step was, and then the second was like, man, I learned if you just ask, you can get right. So asking gets, you know, gets you things. Right. So, so in a lot of people, I think go through life, whether it's at their first job or their next job or today, and they just forget that people are willing to give you a shot or a chance if you're just willing to ask. And that, that's, that's, you know, that's a long way to that lesson, but that's what I wrote about in the book. It's like the power of asking is so great and so underutilized and it's so simple. Well, it's in a lot of, uh, like what I got from the book too, is it's not just about asking, but it's about developing that relationship with that person and getting to know them as a human, instead of just going up to them randomly and just being like, Hey, will you do this for me? Right. Cause I, I think, I mean, there's, there's, there's obviously like a huge difference when between those two scenarios. Well, I was, a, yeah. And I was a hard worker and I think they respect that about me. And, you know, I was, I, I'm sure I was somewhat likable. So, you know, to be around, so, you know, there was an element of human connection there to your point too. And then, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was such a, such it was it was pivotal for my entire life of everything that happened who i became and and it's funny to think about that being a busboy <laughs> it sort of made you who you were but it it was a grind of a job and 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 it was a rewarding job cuz 
because I because all the waitresses fought over me and they were the best waitresses who got who made the most money that paid the most tips. So then I made more money than all the other guys, you know. So cool. Well, and uh, from there, you actually had a similar way that you got to your next job opportunity after that was using that ask. That was super cool. Well, so, so yeah. So the, one of the guys coming in was the new president of Merrill Lynch in Chicago. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're a Northwest Indiana guy and, and you, you know, you, you get old enough, you're driving around, you can see the skyline of the city of Chicago. And I was a beach bum. I hung out at the beach and the yacht club a lot. So, so I would like, I could see the Chicago skyline and I go, that's where I need to be. I need to get to the city. You know, that's all I knew. I need to get to the big city. That was my thing. And so all of a sudden I'm like, wow, the CEO of Merrill Lynch, he's Chicago. Maybe, maybe this is the guy. And he, I just became, I, I took care of his table. I, you know, he came into my dining room. I actually switched dining rooms because of him. So I actually would always work the bar area and the networking area with all those guys. But anytime it was his night, I would try to get into his room and wait on his table. Even if I didn't have that room, I would go in and clear his table and sweep through and help at his table. And I got to know him. So he would have me start helping him cater parties. And I'm watching these limousines pull up. And he had one of the bigger houses in Hammond. And limousines are coming in from Chicago with all these guys and and I'm helping him cater and serve cocktails and just got to know him. And then one night, it's like three in the morning. Uh, we're totally blitzed. I think uh, we were probably smoking a joint, maybe other things <laughs> at about three in the morning with, you know, Merrill Lynch. I'll let you use your imagination. So anyway, we're sitting in a stereo room. And you guys are probably too young to remember uh, some of the old commercials, but but they had reel-to-reel stereo where they would have these reels of tapes where they would play music and then the speakers were ginormous i mean we all had big speakers that were the size of refrigerators and the bigger the speaker the better the sound at the time so so anyway we're sitting in a stereo room it's a wall full of stereo equipment why he needed a wall full i don't know probably because he could have and two big chairs and we're just looking at each other and we had to be wasted man and I look over and I go, Mr. Bradley, what would it take for me to work downtown at the Board of Trade on all those computers with you guys? That seems super cool. He looks at me, squinty eyes. Dean, I like you. You're a hard worker. You can start in two weeks. <laughs> I looked at him and I go, what the fuck? <laughs> Are you shitting me? <laughs> and then I go, and then I woke up the next day. Between two hookers. No, that's not true. So uh, so anyway, I woke up the next day and I'm just like, did that, is, was that real? And then all of a sudden, because uh, he lived right next door to one of my best friends. So then, you know, I would always crash at their house. He comes in or having breakfast and uh, he pops in for coffee and uh, we're sitting around the table and he's like, um, Dean, don't forget, you're starting in two weeks. And I'm going, fuck yeah, I am. <laughs> and I'm scared because I don't even know what that means. Like, start what? <laughs> you know, I'm a busboy. And now all of a sudden, I've been going to Purdue for computers, and we're on punch cards, which you guys probably don't even know what those are. So that was like, you know, four cartridges and everything else, right? So now all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my gosh. But I did love hacking on computers at the university. So, So anyway, it's like he's telling me this and I'm just like, wow. And I'm like excited and scared all at the same time. And then I'm like, 
oh shit, I have to give two weeks notice at the place I've worked my entire life to my family and tell them I'm leaving in two weeks. And I've been there my whole life. How long did you actually work there? Well, 13 to, to the age of 20. Okay. Yeah. I left at 19. So. Yeah. And so, um, so, uh, so yeah, so I, uh, and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm down at the board of trade. I'm in IBM school. It's, I'm on millions of dollars worth of computers on the midnight shift. Uh, but it was pretty cool because I went from making a dollar twenty-five plus tips to making thirty-five dollars an hour, which is a bit, bit, a little bit of a jump. So, uh, <laughs> to say the least, <laughs> right? So that was pretty cool. So, so now all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like, I'm in Chicago, you know, like that. Like it was like it was like the wizard showed up and snapped their fingers, snapped a wand, and goes, "You're going to Chicago." And then I was like. I had to buy clothes. There was like all kinds of decisions, life decisions, like, oh my gosh, I have to commute, you know? And and so, but it was, uh, yeah, it, again, it, but it was that ask Jackson, you're right. It was that power of that, you know, just making the choice in that moment to ask. And I was hungry because I started seeing my buddies either go to the steel mill, go to college, go to Chicago. So I was like, I'm in college. I was sort of bored with the restaurant thing after I started to learn that I would have to work for 20 years as a manager to be able, even to be able to afford to have my own restaurant as I calculated. So I was like, that's the long road. That wasn't what I had in mind. And I'm like, well, maybe, maybe my, maybe my life is to go have, make a lot of money in the tech space and computers and then buy a restaurant, which I never did. But it was like, that was that fork in the road where you make a choice to go right or left. Yeah. Our cameras just keep going black. Yeah, these are yeah. these are our brand new cameras too that we're trying to figure well, that's, out. That's what happens when you buy new things. You got to test them, and you know I, it's tech, technology. You're going to have to shake them out. I know it never works out. Uh, in the car. <laughs> Here, just spin this one. Yeah, yeah. Just use Tyler's. Put it on both of you. That's what. Oh, but I love Tyler. I miss Tyler. I miss you too. I feel like I'm floating. <laughs> You're flying. Are both cameras black? Yeah, they both died. Damn, so that was that was third literally thirty minutes of 30 recording. Minutes. All right, well, we're not gonna take those to Joe's. Nope. <laughs> we're gonna need to figure out those batteries too. Yeah, I already found some. Where you get your old cameras. Yeah. Oh, we get the two camera shot here. That or the two guys shot. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like this shot. I've always liked this shot. I yeah, I do too. Why do you hate this shot? It's like the ESPN shot, man. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, almost. There you go. Yeah, it looks good. Jackson, what's in those green bottles on your desk? Are those real? These, these are empty. These, these were are... Uh, soju bottles when I was in Korea. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, ha- I, I have well, a liter. Well, of... We're in Korea. Was ramen there? <laughs> uh that's why it was it was a little bit but it was not bulgogi like bulgogi and rice and just oh yeah yeah Korean barbecue shit yes yeah, yeah I, I didn't eat it i did not like any yeah, there was like no it. way you were there's no way you pick up a bag of ramen and it goes made in korea there's just i checked no no <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm honestly i'm thinking it's it's like vietnamese i don't know i don't eat it so you don't eat ramen no Wow. I mean, I do if like my mom buys me like thirty of the packs that you can just 
yeah, yeah, yeah. chicken in. Like that's the only time I'll eat it because it's so disgusting and bad for you. So you, uh, so so you guys at Merrill at Merrill Lynch, I gotta tell you that that, and you read about this in the book, but everything you've seen in the Wolf of Wall Street is true. Yeah, it, it's beyond. Yeah, it's like it's beyond. It was at least in the eighties. It was. It was beyond crazy. I I honestly. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, Hammond was the region was a lot of drugs going on. I wanted to get away from all that stuff. And, and, um, you know, and so when I, uh, when I went to Merrill Lynch, man, it's like, all I did was go from the streets to the streets to, to white collar streets. It was crazy, man. It, it was the craziest experience. Well, and that was actually my next question is how do you think, uh, like that, your experience at Merrill Lynch compares to like most corporate structures today. Oh, I can't, I don't think, well, I don't know, you know, cause at least the corporate structures I'm at there, you know, that's not going on. You know I mean? Right. People smoke weed and a bunch of companies, but I don't think, I mean, back then, dude, it was nothing for, for people to have a plate of cocaine in their desk drawer. I mean, it was, what? Like, it, oh dude, no. It, yeah. It, I like a tray, like a plate, like, like you open your desk drawer and there's like a whole thing like ready to come out to party. It's like, come on, party. There's I mean, a meeting. That's why businesses were so good back then. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> or people, yeah, people work fast, man. So, yeah. So, so if I was still there, I would have had this episode. I had would have happened at twenty nine, not not fifty nine. <laughs> but, right. but I kid you not, it was crazy. I'd go into the. Um, I'd go into the uh, bathroom stalls where all the traders were to take a piss in the morning. And then all of a sudden all the traders are like, you know, you could hear them all doing cocaine and then they'd throw the, you know, the, the bell was ready to ring. They'd throw the wall street journal on the ground, pant, pull their pants up, go running out, wash it. I don't think they wash their hands, do all their cocaine and boom, jump on the trading floor. You know, it was like the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And then at, night, at night it was nonstop. Every single night was nonstop parties. Like at the, at the time, at the time, I literally was the fluffer. I was the guy that they sent down to the hotel to make sure the hookers and all the booze and the cocaine was in order and, um, you know, test everything for them (laughs) to make sure it was okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. As a 20 year old kid, it was sort of cool, but then I'm like, well, wait a minute. Now I'm going to school in Chicago. I'm trying to get, I wanted to get away from drugs. I wanted to get my shit together. And I sort of caught myself in the middle of the fun and going, well, every day, this is not fun. It was, I called it hostage partying. I don't know if I said that in the book, but I was like, I mean, back then we didn't have cell phones. So I tried having girlfriends and stuff. You couldn't call your parents. You couldn't call your girlfriend because your CEO has you locked down in a hotel for three days and say, Oh, I can't come for dinner. I can't show up for the date. I had no way of getting a hold of people, right? It's like take the phone off the hook and he goes, You you pick up that phone, you're fired. So so how do you think that like constantly going uh lifestyle kind of prepped you for your next step in life, which was then moving to your next business? Well, yeah, I started yeah, I left there and I started a company at the age of twenty-three, had a officer on a Wacker drive, um, landed a contract. I was making, uh, $30 an hour, uh, that, which was big money for me on my own at that time. 
uh, and then I quickly jumped to $60 an hour. I just kept raising my rates and then I was up by the time I was 25, I was making $175 an hour charging that wow. for programming and stuff like that. So I was like, I just kept raising my rates cause people kept asking for my work. And then I tried uh, getting it, you know, this, this is a lesson, a big lesson too. I, I did a lot of partnerships with, got into partnerships with people that were, that were convenient. So one guy was my professor who had taught me a lot in coding and everything else. And I had these projects, he had projects and I was just a fast coder and and he was a good coder, but he was, um, and then all of a sudden this guy's going through a divorce. Next thing I know, he puts everything into my name cause he's going through a divorce. And then he starts embezzling all the funds out of the bank account to do cocaine. So I'm like, fuck, I can't get away from the cocaine. There's another guy. He's on cocaine all the time. <laughs> I'm just like trying to work for a living, build a company. And I'm in this situation. So then um, the only thing I learned is because the guy put everything in my name after a year going through this, I sat him down and, and I, uh, I basically gave him a check for half of all the money in the bank account said, dude, I can't do this anymore. Here's 50% of all the money and you're fired. And he's what? like, what? And I was like, yeah. And so I said, you could either go get your shit together or go buy a bunch of cocaine and we can maybe do projects, but you got to clean up your act. And, uh, and then he wound up living in the basement of one of my clients. Like he couldn't get his shit together. So I, I tried to help him as best I could, but that was my first hostile takeover. Wow. Yeah. At the, age so, of at the age of 25. <laughs> so but like before you went and did that, like uh, started your next thing after Merrill Lynch, was there like a moment after you, uh, you left? Yeah, just throw shit wherever you want. Is he, uh, is he okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's just pissed we took his camera away. <laughs> um. But the uh, Tyler, you can come around and poke your head in the camera right now and then too. Tyler, use your words. <laughs> I don't have words. <laughs> He's like Tyler, smash. Um, but there was a uh, yeah. Was there a moment when you left Merrill Lynch that you were like, I know exactly what I'm going to do next, or were was there a moment where you were like, what's well, next? Well, the, the big thing was I started off in operations because I didn't have any programming skills. That's what I was going to school for. I went to Merrill Lynch. Uh, they sent me to IBM school. And it was, you know, um, it was weird. I don't know. Um, do you remember uh, the movie Jackson where the um, uh, the women were uh, working for NASA, but they were all the... Uh, all the uh, colored women were, were literally, you know, the black women were all stuffed in their own space far away and in their own room across campus at NASA. They were sort of like hidden from it. Oh, hidden figures. Was that and, hidden figures? Yeah, they were the mathematicians. And I was yeah. like, I get chills talking about it because that's such an amazing movie. So here are these women that are the computers, right? Because they, before they were computers, they were the – that's what they called them. They're computers. The people's job title was you're a computer. So anyway, because you're computing things. And then the machine from IBM showed up, and the woman is sitting there with the giant binder, and the guys couldn't figure out – even the guys from IBM couldn't figure out how to make it to work. Well, that was me at Merrill Lynch. I'm on midnights, and there's these binders. Can you see me? They're like this big. They're like they're like literally that big. They're big binders. And so I just read them every night after I did my homework. 
and I'm learning how to program how to operate and how all the computers work. And I'm helping Merrill Lynch bring all the exchanges online at that time. And I was just like, I was like, I was motivated to stay away from the partying, but better myself and to get a programming degree because the programmers were making twice as much as the operators. So if I could learn how to make the machines do what, what everybody wanted them to do, they made all the money. So that's when I became a coder and I learned basic assembler language, COBOL, and I was writing code like crazy. And that's when all the shit went down when uh, the CEO got nailed for him. He was embezzling money because that seems to be a theme. So he was embezzling money to do all the cocaine. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, anybody that was connected to him was put on the line to uh, <clears throat> was basically set up to get fired. So that was that was a, a bad taste in my mouth. Like literally, I get set up and backstabbed to to basically get fired for not doing anything for doing my job. It was just because I knew somebody. So even though I was like in the in club, the minute the in club was going out the door, I had to go out the door. So I was literally unemployed for a period of time there which was pretty crazy because I had never been unemployed in my life. I'd always been overemployed. Now I find myself unemployed. And so what I did is while I'm going to school, I literally pulled a, a posting off the job board that said data entry, six fifty an hour. And I'm like, fuck, I have to work. So I was going from making $30 an hour at Merrill Lynch, gainfully employed, couldn't get hired anywhere else because I didn't have enough experience or a degree to get hired. So I pulled that jot, that jot, that thing off the board, and I went. It was the Children's Home and Age Society in Chicago. And I go, I sat with the president, and she goes, you are way overqualified to do data entry. I go, but I type faster than any fucker in this building. <laughs> you have to give me this job. And I said, but here's the deal. You have to let me write programs for free, and then you're going to become a reference for me. And then we shook on it. So I worked on programming for free because I could code so fast that I could do all the data entry in a couple hours where everybody else was taking all day to do it. I just typed. I put all that shit in the computer, and then I would code for free. And then Sunny networking with a lady that would come in as a consultant that was the big programmer consultant making 165 an hour, which motivated me. So I'm motivated by her and she goes, Hey, my husband is an IBM repair guy at this company and they need someone to write a COBOL program, a payroll program thinking, well, I've gotten payroll checks. I don't know what a payroll program is, but I'm sure I could do that. And so I go, yeah, let me go check. So I go across town. It was out in Cicero, Midland Ross Corporation. I go and I interview. And next thing I know, the the lady liked me. And next thing I know, I'm working. It was $30 an hour, 60 hours a week for an entire year. And that was my first customer while I was getting my programming degree. So then that sort of launched my business. And then that's where I met the crazy the nutty professor, I call him, that turned into the cocaine head that I walked him to in the hostile takeover from. So now we've come full circle. So Jackson, does that help bridge sort of the the life of? But I, but I, but I sort of, I, you know, I went out a lot, you know, had cocktails, but I, 
I curbed myself because I think I saw so much of that massive parting and I, I just wanted to, again, get away from the bad stuff to get to the good stuff. Well, in, in your book, you always talk about, um, or not always, but you consistently in the early stages talked about like getting out of there and leaving or like looking to what's next. Do you, like, when did that stop? I guess is the question I'm asking because I'm, I had that same headspace of, all right, like we have the podcast, like what's next? What can I do now to help us? And just stuff like that. So I'm wondering if it stops or how do you control it? Well, there's a, there, well, no, there's a, there's a hunger, right? So there's a desire yeah. or hunger that you have. So we call it a yearning in the psychology space. So, so you yearn to, to now, as long as you're not, you know, constantly running from yourself. I, you know, I went through a lot of work in psychology to, to determine, am I, am I driven or am I running from myself? Right. So there, there's a, there's a definition there of, of you establishing, are you moving toward a better self, a better you, or are you running away from who you are? So you need to own who you are and take yourself wherever you want to go. And so there's a whole collective soul there thing where you want to make sure that you're taking you with you and not trying to run away from yourself. Cause you can't, you're, Oh, you know, like my dad would always say, you know, wherever you go, there you are. So it's like, <laughs> it's, like it's like, you know, you can't, you can't get away from you. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and no, it doesn't end because look at what it, Jackson, what, what were all those titles you rattled off? Look at, I have, I have five companies cause I can't stop innovating. I can't stop inventing. That's who I am. So I create, I create things. I create, I believe great things, but, uh, but I don't just do one thing, you know, I do, you know, I, but I found out, I found ways to, to help motivate people, to help me, to partner, to help others while I'm growing things. And, and so that's who I become out of that. But, that, but I manifested that from everything you read about and everything you just heard. And that's your choices to make, you know, what are you going to become based on your yearning to keep going or to keep driving or to keep pushing yourself to that next best you. Well, and another thing with this yearning and or wanting what's next is dealing with the son of a bitch that is patience. I thought you were going to say Jackson. You're like, we both have that in common. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We both have to deal with you, but no dealing with patience. And I, I'm wondering in your career, like when, was a big moment where you just had to remind yourself that I need to be patient with this because it'll come. Fuck, dude, I've never been patient. <laughs> yeah, I have. Jackson knows. I, I'm not even patient going to this store for a thing of milk or whatever. So um, that 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 was the lesson I didn't learn until I went in the hospital. I just I have to slow down and and uh, I drive a little bit slower, not a lot slower, but I mean, I just. Um, yeah, I, t I take things and, and I've gone through periods of my life in that. So I've done I've I've done a lot of personal development. Tony Robbins introduced Jackson on his first firewalk with Jackson at the age of 14. Or 15. Yeah, I actually have the pin on my uh, jean jacket still. Do you? Yeah. So when he I took him on his first firewalk. So I've done. And and again, Sonny, I think it's because I, I always strived or had this yearning to be better than who I was. And I and I wasn't always owning who I, who I am. Right. So, so I was always running from myself in a lot of those moments, like, Oh, if I just go do this and walk on fire and jump off a, a fricking, you know, cliff and I do this thing and this extreme stuff, 
I, it's going to make me better and I'll become someone else. But truly, I'm just manifesting from who I am to be a better person every inch of the way. So hopefully, I don't know if that's resonating, but that's that's where, you know, I think that every time we make those choices of, of slowing down or being patient, it's it's a sign. And I think it's a choice, too, because if if by nature we're not comfortable slowing down and being patient, I think, um, I, I think we have to, we have, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a learned behavior. We have to, we have to do it for the right reasons. And and for me, every time I did that personal development, it was like, oh, you know, they would teach you, you know, slow down, you know, look at the birds and, you know, these flowers, you can watch them grow right before your eyes. And I think that was really cool. And I would do mantras and chants and things like that. And then all of a sudden I'm like, fuck, I can get back to work and make some money. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I would like, it'd be like the minute I'd, I'd get out of those spaces, I would like just almost rubber band back to that aggressive, you know, full force nonstop guy, you know? And so, so, but again, you know, that every time I became better at, at pulling myself back a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, but look, I didn't, I didn't fully learn because I wound up, you know, almost killing myself building multiple companies and working too hard and playing too hard. So I had to have a wake up call. And again, you know, my message to everybody is to don't have that wake up call, but maybe hear the words I'm saying and, and make one little change along the way, but don't do it alone. Do it with each other, do it with partners, do it with friends. Do it with your team. Your team. That's also wow. in the book, but you have to buy it in order to find out what it means. <laughs> you get to chapter three, and uh, every one of you can email me or call me because I'll talk to you about that. But chapter three is a huge life lesson for me about not being alone. Because, Sonny, when I hear you say the words that you were saying, I felt I felt alone when you were saying that. So I think you feel alone sometimes in that, like – it's all you, you got to make it happen. No, I, there's, there's definitely times where I'm like, all right, like I need to do this or do that. And it's, it's weird. Like reading your book, I was like, oh man, Dean and I like, we have that in common. We have this in common. We have that in common. And I think our headspace, well, obviously years back then, it's like somewhat uh, familiar. So I'm probably going to fly through your book, honestly, in the next two days and be like, all right, let's figure this shit out. Well, and, and it's all for you. You know, one of the things I recommend is journaling, right? So, and it doesn't have to be this crazy long stuff. It could be three lines or three words, but, but every night before you go to bed um, and you'll sleep better from this too, just, just write, write down what's going on in your head, you know, like write down something you'll learn that's new, that helped you grow, that helped you be better. And, and, you know, every, every, Every day is a whole life, man. It's like life is so precious. It's like people don't realize that every single day is a treasure, right? So every single day you have an adventure and it's yours to choose whether you live into the adventure and learn from it and become better from it each and every day. So I think that shit's worth writing. And all of you guys will have books if you just start writing shit down about the things you're living through. You know, right now you're podcasting, which is super baller. But then, but then there's other things, other experiences that you have that maybe if you journaled, you guys would all have books by the end of the year. So I've, I've tried journaling at night too. And it's just, I mean, 
when it comes down to it, it's just been a lack of discipline at the end of the night because I'll like I'll write stuff and then I'll literally just get in my own head and just be like, all right, this is stupid. And like I'll just self self doubt myself and then I'll put it down and I won't pick it up. Were you a celebration guy? Or you, you know, were you celebrate things at all? No, I don't. Like if I my parents and my brother have got on me because I'm very hard on myself and right. like if if I accomplish something, it's not about it's not about like being happy about that accomplishment. It's about looking at what's next. Well, that's not a hundred percent true. Like you're getting better about it at least because like when we launched Windy City Joe's, I mean, we celebrated like we FaceTimed and we poured a drink and we smoked some weed. I mean, yeah, but then it was like, all right. But then it was back to work. It yeah. was right back to work. I mean, but I mean. I can't, I mean, I, I agree with it to an extent to where, like, I don't know why. I mean, it is easy for me to, like, at the end of the day, like, sit down and just, like, shut my fucking brain off to be, like, like shut up, like, and then, like, zone out. So, like, that's my me time is, like, two hours at the end of the night. But other than that, like, I mean, it's, like, go, go, go. I can't just sit still. Like, and that's probably borderline with all the ADHD in my brain. But, <laughs> I mean, at the same time, it's, like, just focusing on all of it you know what i mean like just being like all right this is where we got to move next and like how many times a day do i call you about like stupid little ideas that i have and i'm like what what can we do with this right so i mean it's like there's yeah well that's i can't shut up my brain and i wish i could because like i said i'm always like what's what am i doing next or i'm always it's like the the mamba mentality it's like i don't think about what we're doing i think about what my competition is doing and when that day comes it's like, are we going to be more prepared than them to have the opportunity that's offered? But what about if you just, um, you know, one of the things that helped me, um, and it was it was one of my coaches, and Jackson knows Dr. Bob, um, is we would do this thing. Uh, uh, I might get choked up here, but uh, we might we do we do this uh, weekend. Um, training that's called tracking and it's it's really surreal and you guys have seen the matrix right yep yeah so so, so yeah so, you so right you oh yeah so you have like the blue pill and the red pill right so you're either you're either here in the real world or you're in this other world and a lot of times most of us give up that moment to be just with ourselves be present and, and just stay right fucking here. And we decide to just leave and either travel way ahead or travel way back and, and fester on bullshit that happened before us. And we do this every millisecond of every day. We go through these exercises that I wish you guys could experience because you're tracking every millisecond of every moment and you catch yourself leaving this moment. And we do it all the time. Like right now, as I'm talking, you guys are reflecting on something that happened 10 years ago or something you wish would, wish would happen tomorrow. You can't help it. It's human nature. Our minds bounce all over the place, you know, in milliseconds. And that's what drives a lot of us crazy because we're, we're wanting something that is not here right now. And so if we were just to take a second to just be with ourselves in the moment and enjoy the moment. That's where the treasure is. It's like being right. And then I could hear him right now. He would like, he would like work with me and he could say, stay, stay fucking right here. Stay here right now. Come back here. I can tell you're leaving. Come back here. And it was, it felt like, 
like in the matrix, like I was like pull it being pulled into the, you know, into the universe. And I was like, I'm like, wow, I could feel like in that moment, I could feel leaving where I was with, with that person. And I wasn't staying with them. And it took a lot of training and I still catch myself. And I'm like, I could feel myself like I could see out of the corner of my eye, my text message come up or this happened or that happened. And all of a sudden I'm leaving and I'm going off into another conversation when I should be in this conversation. And it takes every fiber of my body to stay in wherever I choose to be. And, and, and it's hard for people to do that. And especially with the disruptive world and technology that we live in, it's, it's almost become impossible. I mean, Jackson fights with me all the time because he sees me leave our conversations and I ask him to tell me about it because I'm like, dude, I'm going to fucking leave right in the middle of this thing. So it's like, <laughs> you got to pull me back. You got to pull me back in. Um, My favorite is when I like watch it happen and then I just start saying random shit that doesn't make any sense and you're still going, yeah, no, definitely. Like, and I'm like, fucking, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I knew it. <laughs> I'm so good at it. I can live in both spaces. <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I do, I am very thankful that like there was that time, you know, I was, I think I'm still at least one of the youngest people to have ever gone through that program at right. I was 14 when I went through it and they were, everyone was like 30 plus, uh, but there were some negative sides to it because I would be like, I don't have as much like trauma. Yeah. You know what I mean? As like some of these, like I had a guy in my group that was from like Ethiopia and he was like telling us how he left a war torn country and with his sister on his back. And I was like, fuck. Like sometimes my mom gets pissed when I don't turn my homework in. Right. Like, yeah. I was like, I feel like that guy should go again. Like I don't have enough to talk about, but like that's my biggest thing is I use humor to kind of leave the space, like leave like anything that makes me uncomfortable talking about. I'm always like, if I make a joke, it goes away and it's fine and everything's okay. I don't know where the fuck you got that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Probably um, like literally anyone in our family. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dean, and like back to I guess like focusing on the situation. Um, that's why if you watch, you're a fan of Dwayne the Rock Johnson, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, big if fan. if you watch his like workout videos, he yells "focus." And that's him yelling at himself, being like, yeah. "Get back in the moment." And I. Man, I wish I could do that at the gym, but I just can't scream focus. Everyone else would be like, Dude, everyone, trust me, everyone's got headphones on. Hey, everyone's got headphones on. You can grunt. You can, you know, I did that the other day. I took my headphones out, and you can hear guys doing that or people doing that stuff and people screaming and yelling and grunting. And I'm like, do I sound like that? I don't care. I just put my headphones on and I went back to. Making making noises, I'm sure. I don't even know. So. Right? Do you uh, do you, do you know who Jesse Itzler is? Yeah. He his like saying is "Be where your feet are." So yeah, I like that. That's that's kind of like another saying, and I mean it's it's so hard to, I guess, do just that is be where your feet are, especially yeah, like you mentioned with all of the distractions and such, but. I mean, it's also on you as a person to eliminate and put away those distractions as well. Yeah. But then, but then I'll like, I keep battling back and forth. It's like, yeah, put away the distractions and get to work, but also don't overwhelm yourself with work and stress yourself out with everything too. So it's like, yeah, yeah you gotta, you gotta find the in-between. Yeah. I, I would always have this thing where, uh, and I, and I, I mean, I did it when I came into S2A 
everybody was just blown away at how much <clears throat> I did and I built in such a short period of time. But I was the guy that never stopped. And I and I got a lot of people to help me out with things, but my mind didn't stop and I and I was in a I was in a kid in a new playground. And I just, I had all these business initiatives and I could see them right before my eyes. And I almost, and I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. I would sleep three, four five hours a night to make these things happen. And then I forgot to take care of myself fully throughout that process. And so my outlet wasn't to sleep. It was to work out as hard as I could for an hour and a half every morning in the gym and then uh, grind into the work and then you know, go celebrate where I could at a concert or, you know, a party or something like that. And then, um, you know, not, not have any downtime, you know, which is what I think, you know, overall, um, was sort of the tipping point that pushed me over the edge there. But, uh, but I think, um, again, I think the, I think the, the lesson is to, to just make sure you uh, plot out some balance, you know, have that time of, of daily, break meditation it doesn't have to be go 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 you're going to be much more effective if you can create a little space to breathe create a little space to be you know just stay present shut down your technology and just you know sort of be disconnected for a while whether it's a i mean you're right by the lake man i'd be like when i was doing that i'd be like just walking out on the lake no technology no nothing no headphones just uh just taking the birds chirping and and take a little breather and then go back to whatever it is that's going to drive you to the next moment. So, um, what was you, I think you did touch on this a little bit in the book, but what was your why for like your work ethic and starting these businesses? Well, I think, um, I think it's, I think my, actually my stepmom was the driver of that. I mean, from the moment, um, she instilled that work ethic. I mean, when, you know, without going into the whole backstory, which you'll get in the book, you know, I was abandoned at an early age from my birth mom. And so I think that abandonment and, uh, and, and all that caused me to, to sort of have what you have, Sonny, where you're, it was almost like I was running towards something because I was yearning to have a connection. I was yearning to find a mom, right. That actually cared about me. So I was always driving, to find that, not knowing that that's what I was searching for. So I never wanted to be where I was at because I was never, never felt nurtured or comfortable where I was at. I was always, always driving forward. So, so in that, when I got to this Dutch German stepmom, all of a sudden she's, uh, she's like uh, taking this wild child who was running this, you know, when I, when, when my birth mom had me, she never really watched me that close. So I was running the farm fields of Indiana we moved to England and I'm running the streets of London, uh, first grade, second grade, uh, unattended, <clears throat> just running with a pack of kids like uh, Oliver Twist. Uh, so I'm just literally running Piccadilly Circus. You know, the, the English Bobbies would bring me home. You know, I'm just with a pack of kids. We'd get in trouble all the time. I come here. I'm on the south side of Chicago. I move in with my grandparents because I had my dad, my dad brought us back alone without my mom. So then I'm, I'm in with my grandparents and my grandmother had a bunch of boys. So I was just another boy running the streets of Calumet city, South side of Chicago, you know, no supervision. Then all of a sudden this Dutch German woman comes into my life and tries to cage the wild animal. 
And it's all about chores and scrubbing floors and doing dishes and weeding gardens. And I'm like, what the fuck? I, <laughs> I got to go. And I was the worst kid for the worst amount of time that you could possibly. I was terrible. I was, I was a beast. And so she tamed that beast. It took, you know, several beatings, which I deserved every one of them. Uh, but uh, I was bad, man. And then, but then, um, but she helped me get into the, the first jobs and it was because of scrubbing those floors and weeding those gardens that my, my buddies would stand at the end of the driveway or I would get, get your ass over here and help me weed this garden so we can go play baseball. You know? And then she got me into organized sports and actually uh, paid me for, I remember she used to keep this a uh, five by seven index card and pay me a quarter a base and a dollar 50, a home run. Wow. I was, I was the home run King in little league for four year consecutive years because of that. I got drafted by a travel team because of my mom's work ethic. And my dad would come home and, you know, help play catch every day. I mean, he was part of that, but, but I think the work ethic came from that Dutch German instilling it in. And my dad was always, my dad would always work. He went to night school and then he also always had another job selling something. He was like a shoe salesman for a while, I remember. And then he he was always about selling something. So I think that's where I got my sales bones. And then him and my mom had this uh, Shackley food supplement business. And we would be like, our garage would be filled with boxes of product. And my dad was just the king. And all of a sudden, we're living in this lower middle class neighborhood. And we had new cars and they're going on trips and we had boxes of shipments coming in and out. And all my buddies thought they were drug dealers. <laughs> and I go, they are. They're vitamin drug dealers. <laughs> but all the, I think all that business going on around me and, and my mom making me do chores and work really shifted me not just being this kid surviving on the street, but now this guy that understood, oh, if you work hard, you get money. And with money, you can have nicer things. And and that that got me into the restaurant and the yacht club, and hey, we just came full full circle. Look at that! And uh, it's funny because when you know we'll the three of us will go on a on the road somewhere. Um, Sunny will like I put my all my pills and vitamins in my hand, and I'll throw them back, and he's like, "What the fuck was all that?" And I'll be like, "That's that, you know, this and this." And he's like, "Why don't you just take a multivitamin?" Because that's we take all the the Shackley vitamins that our my grandparents were selling. Um, <laughs> they're all expired now, but I take them anyway. Oh, I'm just yeah, kidding. You fresh ones. You got fresh ones. <laughs> no, I know because my mom sells it now, so she sells them all like all the organic uh, vitamins through Shackley. So I mean, that's like how we you know got to that. But um, I'm glad you bring us vitamins. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, for that. I'm malnourished. Well, I, once they start working for me, I'll let you guys know. <laughs> once I'm like, wow, I really do. Well, there is like Jackson, a Jackson. Usually, sh you usually shove them in a McDouble, don't you? You put them like right in the middle, and then you eat the McDouble, and it's sort of, sort of uh, that's his balance, I think. I, I shove them in a McGangbang because you need the chicken <laughs> and the beef to basically the balance it with the fried beef. <laughs> you can't take it on an empty stomach. 
I'm so down to get McDonald's later. I know. I'm so <laughs> hungry. <laughs> hey, Sonny, I was counting on you to be the healthy influence. No, dude. No, he just worst. beats the fuck out of himself in the gym every day. Yeah. If anything, pizzas, baby. like Tyler and I probably eat healthier than he does, but we don't, we don't, we don't <laughs> we work don't out. The gym. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> I yeah my if I could inc- if I could better anything my diet is not the greatest every now and then I'll get on good tangents but I'm not the best but Sonny I want I'm 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 deputizing you to be the healthologist for this crew okay I mean I All am right, more than happy to work out with them yeah work tomorrow. out with them oh, show dude, them anything if, yeah. I would MTI instruct them so happily but come, also, on, Joe, come on Joe Rogan goes on power walks with his crew and they write scripts and stuff you guys could do that that is a good idea that's true. well we were we taking should. a lot of walks together for a little while yeah that's how you saw <laughs> Homo Sandy or whoever it was right or that was. oh yeah yeah Hobo yeah. Steve um, Obo Steve I was close <laughs> um yeah well and then there was uh yeah definitely yeah, we were going on a lot of them for a while, but yeah, no, I'm definitely getting hungry. I will tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm thinking about McDonald's. Um, I, we should have been talking about salads because that makes everybody hungry. Oh, uh, man, I am full. I'm actually stuffed now. <laughs> um, so going forward a little bit, I don't I want to skip a little bit of stuff. I mean, you started Forward Progress and Social Jack down the line. Um, and that was, you know, after about seven, uh, seven failed and five successful companies in between. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and then uh, we kind of touched on all of it. Now you're, you know, at S2A and all of their subsidiaries and companies like that. Um, I want to talk about time travel, though, because I know that's something that's that you love. Uh, yeah. So if you if you could time travel anywhere in time, where would you go? Um, well, I would go, I would go in the past, uh, cause I would, there's some people I would like to kick, beat the shit out of that bullied me. So I'd probably take care of them now that I'm a third degree black belt martial artist. I'd probably open up a can of whoop ass on some of them. I wouldn't like kill them or anything. I just, <laughs> I just make them hurt. You just go back to when they're like 12 and you're like, I'm a grown ass man now. <laughs> <laughs> you know that kid you just beat up? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> bitch <laughs> so, uh but no you know i'm i you know it sounds crazy but i'm i was always into like um you know the dinosaurs and sort of the jurassic uh, period and things like that so i think i'd want to check that out at, you know some sort of safety factors hopefully engage <laughs> there uh but i i'm also curious about the future and and not just time travel but uh, but you know I I do believe there's a multiverse and different dimensions that live around us. I mean you know I I don't think there's coincidences, and I have a hard time believing that we're the most intelligent thing around. So I w- I would be curious to to meet and know people that just um, have figured things out beyond us. So uh, you know it wouldn't just be time travel. I think it would be uh, space travel. So I'm fascinated by uh, Jackson. You know you and I were talking about the black holes and things like that and uh i guess ancient aliens yeah and uh, yeah ancient aliens and i do you know i do believe i do believe in a lot of that because i i can't imagine that a lot of these things were done with you know that we know about and have today that were actually done by just you know regular old humans so um so anyway i 
I, I know there's intelligent life beyond us. There has to be. And we've uh, actually seen it together, Jackson, in our backyard. <laughs> yeah, we definitely. We saw that UFO when we were in the pool. Right. Um, and I, but I, I think you going back to what you said about the multiverse, that there, that like when you when you feel that sensation of deja vu, I don't know all the time that it's like, oh, I actually did this, and that's why it feels familiar, or if it's like some version of me and some version of this universe did something that was similar to what I'm experiencing right now. And that's like connected, you know, like it's all connected. It's like, and I think, and I didn't, I didn't come to that conclusion until I watched the movie interstellar, which you and I ended up finishing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great fucking movie. I've seen the ending of that movie because it came out when I was working in theater. So I'd always walk in in the past five minutes. Oh, and you're like, I get the gist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, you know, you think about how uh, time sort of sort of is in a loop or a curve. And, and you know, there's all kinds of different ways to slice and dice things, right? Just like anything. And you think about, you know, matter and, you know, we're just balls of energy running around. Uh, and And you just think about how everything is connected. And, you know, that's one of those things that takes you back to some of the work that we did in the psychology, even in martial arts, <clears throat> where you could feel the, the energy travel between humans. Well, if that, if that energy can transfer, if we could have that transference of energy between us and feel that connection, you know how when you're with somebody, you can just, you just feel good and you feel connected to that person. We've all had that. Um and so when you have that feeling and that connection, why couldn't you transmit that? Why couldn't you receive that by choice more? I mean, what percentage, uh, where's my fact checker? What percentage of our brain do we use? Tyler. It's like 10. No, that's a, that's a Hollywood trope though. That's it? Yeah. That's just, I like we use a hundred percent of our brain. Um, no, we don't. There, I'd be so much better off. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I'm gonna be so pissed if we're if we're using a hundred percent of our brain. Oh, it actually says, yeah, over the course of an average day, humans use nearly a hundred percent of their brain. Yeah, but not all, yeah, but we there's so many regions that are untapped, right? So there's energy that that we have that we don't transmit or receive. So what I'm saying is, if we could combine that that energy that we have. And remember when I was, um, remember, uh, Sonny, when I was talking about the, uh, the tracking and I was talking about being present and how we, we travel all day long and we don't realize that we're traveling, that we're not in the present. We're literally time traveling all day long. So why do we choose to do that? You know, just in our heads, is there a way for us to manifest that and physically be able to take the matter that's in our, you know, that we're made of with the energy in our bodies and then transform that and then transmit it somewhere. And I can't imagine that that's not possible. Well, and that's like the big, well, one of the big rumors as to why psychedelics are illegal is because the big, well, the big mushroom man, I don't know his name on Joe Rogan is like, that's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. part of why the government doesn't want you to have psychedelics. It's because it can, lead you into the multiverse and those kind of i guess thoughts slash viewpoints 
well, and why if the human mind is much more powerful than what we use it for, why why couldn't we go to that that extra space that we don't use? Yeah. Do you think Elon Musk is an alien? No, I don't think he's an alien. I think he's a genius. Uh, but uh, no, he's. I think he's. Um, uh, I think he is autistic, right? I mean, isn't that? Yeah. He's diagnosed. So I just think he's genius. But um, but I know a lot of people like that, and so I think um, I think we all have the ability to be a genius without being autistic. And again, it's a choice of us um, living into that part of ourselves to to manifest that. So, like for instance we can choose every single day to learn things, to absorb things, to be better. And then to, to, to initiate that, to propel ourselves the next day, to push ourselves to the next level. Is that a version of time travel where if we decide to just sit on the couch and eat Cheetos every day, and then that's a different version of ourselves. And now all of a sudden we've had this experience where all of a sudden we've decided, well, I'm going to learn a new skill every day. And then by the end of this period of time, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to be a professor at a university or I'm going to write a book or I'm going to change lives because I'm going to be this person. Now you have two choices. You could be that person eating Cheetos on the couch or you could be the person on the right that went ahead and, and changed a whole bunch of lives and changed the world. And so I think that's a version of us time traveling within ourselves. And then Jackson is at a multiverse where there's one version that's eating Cheetos and one version that's... That looks like the rock. Yeah, it looks like The Rock, right? <laughs> yeah, that would probably be the multiverse. Um, yeah, because then you would have the variations, kind of like the sh- like Loki when we watched Loki. Yeah. It's like you got the different versions of each person throughout the timeline, and that's where it it splits off. Yeah, so and I think I'm like I think I'm like Fox Mulder in uh, you know in uh, what do you call it in X Files? I think uh, you know. I, I want to believe, I do believe that, you know, there's, there's higher intelligence, there's, there's science that we all don't know that's going on that exists. I mean, look, all of a sudden we went to no space travel to everybody's flying around. And I mean, William Shatner, you know, Captain Kirk is flying in space at the age of 90, for God's sakes. I mean, it's, I mean, he just went up in the atmosphere and back, but still, I think that's freaking awesome. So now all of a sudden, I think there's possibilities for us to explore far enough out to know that we can travel from Earth to other galaxies, to other universes. And I believe, you know, you know, CERN and some of the other groups that are out there that everybody hates. But I think they're in advanced sciences that they're learning about those things. And I think there's capabilities. But who knows? Maybe uh, Maybe Elon came through the uh, portal in CERN. We don't know that. We don't know. He, he's like, damn, y'all haven't done shit here. We'll be, in, we'll be to Mars in three weeks. Watch, I'm going to get this Dogecoin going, and these idiots don't know it's nothing. <laughs> They're just going to do it. Well, that, so. well, that's another thing is actually I just got these guys on Sheeb, which has the oh, Sheeb army. That's it. Yeah. Sheeb, you know, it's like the dog. Yeah, sure. What you don't know about the dog, Shiba no, Inu? I don't know what the hell dude, that is, dude. It just hit eight. Sheep just hit eight. So, oh yeah, we're gonna buy Blarney Stone. Yeah, we keep saying we're gonna because Blarney Stone went out of business. Uh, one of our favorite bars. Uh, <laughs> it did, and we for obvious reasons. Yeah, for very obvious <laughs> reasons. If you've ever been to Blarney Stone, you know you, you get it. <laughs> we don't have to explain it to you, but Sheep went up to yeah, 
went up to eight uh and it's still climbing but you can um buy it now and the more you buy the more we're sponsored <laughs> we're sponsored yeah so you want to support us go buy sheep there you go <laughs> and so, I, I officially own 140 just in this wallet i own 142 million shares so if it goes to a dollar i'm gonna buy y'all a, a boat or something Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we'll have our own club, damn it. We do appreciate yeah. that. Um, yeah, we'll all get together in Lake Michigan. We'll hook or them I'll, together. I'll just be a bigger sponsor of the show. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can, well, we can record on our own network channel. <laughs> yeah, people, right. are, people are forced to watch us. Yeah. <laughs> forced to watch. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we're going to buy out Fox News and CNN and yeah. stream our. Yeah, we're the stuff. new news. Is am I just noticing because I listen to you guys a lot? But have you always had those lights up around the? Um, yeah. So no. Well, I mean, for the past few episodes, at least, uh, I would say like every episode minus like the first two or three. Yeah, I no, I was... the first two, and I just listen to the rest. So yeah, because you always do it when you're at the gym. Because he'll come back from the gym when I'm back home, and he'll be like, "See, they look cooler with the lights off, though." Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like so, that. Yeah, there's lights all over this place. There is. So we're in a UFO of our own. Yeah, it kind of feels like a spaceship in here. Or a boat. Depends on how many mushrooms. <laughs> Jackson, you should get some of the crypto guys that we know on. And then in the back on that TV, you just run a stock ticker on crypto. Oh, yeah. We could. Like, oh, that would be cool. Yeah. And we just stick to this one camera angle. Yeah. I'm, I, I mean, I like this angle. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not hating it. I just need to lose weight. That's all it makes me realize. Well, then you can't <laughs> it's all, there's all motivation in every every yeah. of the day, right? Well, Jackson and I are both doing sober November. Yeah. Well, until Thanksgiving, because I mean, like, you can't be American and not drink and watch football on Thanksgiving. And spend, you can't not drink and spend time with your family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's more. That's more what it has to do with. <laughs> that too. Yeah, it's a yeah, great it's part it's of called, Thanksgiving. We call it a tolerance cocktail. So. Yeah. I'm going to have 12. Um, so uh, I want to thank you again for coming on. And I know you're super busy. We had to book this like a month out. Yeah, and you're my dad. Thank you for getting healthy to come on. Yeah. I'm glad you're doing okay as well, Dean. Yeah. And and, and please, uh, yeah. And so, you know, again, Sonny, I'm appointing you as the uh, the reverend here of health, uh, the healthologist for the team too. So. Oh, boy. Um, where can people find you? I mean, I know it, but I want you to right here, I'm on, right here. I'm on the screen. <laughs> oh yeah. So is at Dean Delisle on everything except for Instagram, which is at Dean Delisle one. Right. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead and connect to me on social and, you know, I am super busy. I always try to help people out um, as much as I can. Uh, let me know uh, if you like the book, uh, please. It's on Amazon. Just write a positive review. And if you don't like it, contact me because I don't want a negative review. So. <laughs> and you three guys got to leave me a positive review. I think that's might have already done. Yeah, I did. That's the only reason I have my own Amazon account. Right. Other than that, I share your guys's. <laughs> Well, I'm a sponsor there too. I see. Well, no, no, no. It's my card. I just, oh, okay. uh, just... I just use your Prime shipping. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right. Well, well I, pre I appreciate what you guys are doing. I love your content. I love the show. I, I think. Uh, more people should listen in and um and i wish you guys of course all the success not just because jackson's my son but i like you three together and uh, hopefully you guys do a bunch of stuff together so 
Thank you, Dean. I'm going to make my way to Indiana and have a therapy session with you because it's insane at the like same childhood things that we've gone through. So we're going to just dissect that. Well, Jackson, we're having a, we're having a final shutdown of Camp Delisle. The, I think it's next weekend. So maybe that's the weekend that everybody gets together and uh, we'll throw some sports on the TV in the backyard and the, and light up a fire and there goes over November. Oh, oh shit! <laughs> uh, we could get out duels. <laughs> yeah, right. No way. <laughs> does that does that work in a funnel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes down the same. I mean, not in, not down my throat. <laughs> All right, uh, maybe we'll have to figure it out. Well, I would only be free that Sunday, so. All right. Well, we'll. Put but I mean, the, yeah, we'll put a football game on, and we'll just hang out, and you know, we'll talk up some things, and. Um, I was hoping we could empty the fridge and the bar. I mean, I'm not going to do it. I just need help. You know, we could either empty it and move it in the garage or we could just empty it in our system. So there's a choice there. Maybe like we'll make an exception for just one day. One, one day. One day. Or even, yeah. Even, even if like you're Catholic and you do that thing where you, you know, you give things up. Don't, can't you do it on Friday? Uh, it's Lent. Yeah. yeah. But don't you get a free day or something? No, no, no. You got the one day you can't eat meat is Sunday. Oh, okay. It was a Fridays. Fridays, you can't eat meat. Yeah, because they have fish Friday. Yeah, they have fish Friday. Even I went. Well, no, I was a Catholic for twenty years, but <laughs> yeah, I went to Catholic school and. So did <laughs> I. They, um, they beat the whole system right out of me. <laughs> Amen to that. Just right out of your knuckles. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again so much for coming on, and uh, you know, I'll I'll talk to you after this. Thank you, well, Dean. You're the man. Thank you. All right, guys. Love you guys. Keep doing a great job. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Love you too. Love you too.